0: Right as they're making their way out, if you guys were turning your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 22, got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so hang on. I told Ann this, this is somewhat, uh, for a lack of a better word, technical, so you need to pay attention as well. Uh, so let's pray and ask God's blessing on this time as we just dig into His Word and um, see what He will teach us this morning by His Spirit. Father, once again, we come before you. We thank you this morning, God, that you are gracious and good to us. We thank you for your word, and as Michael says, uh, it is inspired, breathed out by you, and we thank you for it. We pray this morning that by your spirit you would take this word, that you would make it alive in our hearts and our spirits today, God, that for your people, that they would walk away with a greater understanding of who you are and your plan of redemption, And perhaps for those that are here today who do not know you as their Lord, that this would be the day, Father, that you would peel back and reveal yourself to them. And your grace and mercy grant repentance. And we thank you in Jesus Christ's name, the name that is above all names. And we all said, Amen. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14 is where we will be taking our text from today. And this morning, the first Sunday of the year in the Lord, uh, the year of our Lord, 2020, I'm going to kind of start a new series. I'm not sure how long I'll go on this, and it may be interspersed with some other things, but we're going to begin to talk about messages that deal with pictures of Christ out of the Old Testament. And it might surprise some that there are so many clear and vivid accounts that point to Christ and our redemption throughout the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, Jesus made it clear that He was written about in the Old Testament when He rebuked the religious leaders of His day concerning His deity. Uh, in John chapter five, verse 46, Jesus said this, He says, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. And if you go back and just do your homework and look at that scripture, it was the time when there were religious leaders who were arguing with Jesus, and he was saying, hey, basically, I am life. I am eternal life. And they said, well, you know, Moses is our father. And he says, listen, if, if you believe Moses, then you would have believed in me because Moses wrote about me. And that's what we just want to set the stage for uh, in in coming weeks about seeing Jesus Christ out of the Old Testament because not only did Moses write of Jesus, but Isaiah wrote of him. The Psalmists speak directly of Christ as our Messiah, as our Savior, as our King. And I hope that these messages will comfort and convict us that we do indeed have the very Word of God in our hands. It would encourage us that this Word would encourage us with a confidence to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and that we would faithfully live and speak its truth to those around us. Amen. I'm glad glad you're with me, Steve. You know, that, that is, let, me, let me just pause for a moment. Let me just pause for a moment and say that. I think that's part of the problem with the church today is they don't really believe that they have the living, active word of God. If we were to understand that this book was written by 40 different authors, 66 different books, over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages, on three different continents, and yet it, it proclaims the same story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, perhaps that would help us to understand that we're holding the Word of God in our hands and so with a confidence we can say and to talk and speak about this and not back up on the issues that face us today i would hope so in our text this morning genesis 22 verses 1 through 14 it's a very familiar story concerning abraham and isaac and while there are many principles and applications that we can draw from this deep well of truth I want us to focus this morning just as seeing Christ as our offering. Some of you remember the first message I ever preached to you, which was about two years ago when I just came over to fill the pulpit, was out of this very chapter. And it was talking about uh, the principle of what it means to really worship God. God. But the greater picture that we find in Genesis chapter 22 is actually a picture of Jesus Christ and God the Father and Christ being the offering for us. And that's what I hope that we can see this morning. Three main points that I would bring out of the scriptures this morning, and here they are Behold the wood, Behold the fire, Behold the lamb. Behold the wood, behold the fire, behold the lamb. Now let me just read to you, and I want to read to you and bear with me because I want to read all 14 verses out of chapter 22, the first 14. And I believe that it is important that we do this because, again, I'll go back to this and listen. You can hear me all day long, and what I would say has really uh, very little to do, but the Word of God is what is active and alive and is what changes people's lives, right? So I want to focus on the Word this morning. It says this, chapter 22, Genesis. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the two mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son, and he clave wood for a burnt offering, and rose up, and he went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they both went them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and he said, My father, and he says, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went of them together, and they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took a knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For I know now that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took a ram and offered him on a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, and the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Let me just kind of give a little bit of what's going on here so we get a good understanding. In this account, we find that God's called Abraham to test his faith. He's to take that one son that he has, and it's important that we note that he says his one son, his only son, and to offer him on a mountain that the Lord would show him. We see that his response is immediate. He gets all the elements that he needs that he will accomplish. He will need to accomplish his task and he sets out on a journey with his son and witnesses. This is stated early as a, a historical account of Abraham and Isaac's faith and obedience to the Lord. And it's here that I want to unpack a bigger picture, which gives us the account of Christ that the religious leaders were rebuked by Jesus about. Because he says, if you had believed in Moses, you would have believed in me because Moses wrote of me. And folks, I want to tell you that there is no clearer picture out of the Old Testament of the offering of Jesus Christ as our sacrifice than we find right here first thing that i want you to notice in verse 7 is behold the wood and isaac spake unto abraham his father and he said father and he says here am i my son and he says behold the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for the burnt offering The first thing that we need to observe in beholding the wood is to understand what the wood represents here. Now many have said that the the wood represents the cross, but that's not really what is being spoken of here at all. You will note in verse three as well, it says from the very beginning of the journey, that Abraham got up as soon as God had called him to the task of going to this mountain to offer his son. And it says, and he clave the wood. He puts the wood together so it's been with them from the very beginning. And you will note that he takes that wood and he places that wood on the back of the donkey, on the back of the ass. Now let me, let me just interject right here too what that donkey is a picture of. You see, the donkey is a picture of you and me. The donkey is a picture of the lost man. And so what we're seeing here is you're seeing the father. From the very beginning, we see that this donkey has this great burden of wood placed on his back. And he begins this journey. The donkey carries this wood for Three days, and may I remind you again, you've heard me say this many times, that whenever you see three days in the Bible, you will note that there is significance to it. Let me just tell you this, there is three days that separates you from an eternal hell and an eternity with Christ. And throughout the Bible, you will have that. Jesus, as a matter of fact, he says, if you want a sign, here's a sign for you. Just as Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days, he says, so the Son of Man shall be buried for three days. It's a picture of the resurrection. It's a picture of life. And again, let me just say, the only thing that separates you and me from an eternal death is three days. And he says they travel for three days. It's important of what this wood represents and the wood represents sin the wood that we see that is placed on the back of this donkey is a picture of sin it is sin that all men have because all men have sin the bible says in romans three ten and it tells us there is none righteous No, not one. And by the way, when Paul says that out of Romans, he is not making that up. He is quoting out of the Old Testament that there is not one righteous person on the face of the earth. Not one. I was telling Ann this week as I was listening to somebody talking about the writings of C.S. Lewis. And Lewis had said at one point in a book that he had read, and I'll have to find what it is so I can tell you later. But he said this, that, that if people could come out of hell today, they would choose to go back again. Because that's the nature of man. Because they are sinners by nature. And they are sinners by choice. There is not a righteous person. So this, this burden of sin that is on this donkey is a picture of the burden of sin that is on you and me. It, it, it says further that Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. You know, I, I've got, I have just got a, you know, a, a six-month-old uh, grandson, the youngest of, of the four that we have. And even as I look at that young child there, I understand this, that that young man is a sinner separated from God. And at some point he will need to come to Christ. As a matter of fact, we sat last week and dedicated these kids to the, to the Lord and saying it is a responsibility of the parents, the responsibility of the grandparents, it's a responsibility of the church to live Christ in front of them so that when they can finally come to the opportunity of understanding that they are lost and separated, that they would turn to Christ for salvation. You see, because that little boy, that grandson of mine, my grandsons and my granddaughters are like all of us, that we come into this world with a burden on our back called sin. That's the picture that we see here as is, is this wood is on his back and as he struggles along on this three-day journey this donkey bears the burden on his sin for those days but notice here that what is happening in that three-day time frame you have the father and the son guiding that beast of burden along every step of the way it's the father and the son that are with that beast of burden leading him to that place of a a place of where this sacrifice would happen Can I tell you this morning that if you are here this morning, you ought to rejoice because there was a time in your life that God the Father, through the Spirit, brought you to the place of understanding that you needed a Savior. You didn't figure that out yourself. It was the hand of God who led you along. Just like we see the hand here of the Father and the Son leading to a donkey to the base of that mountain who was burdened with sin. You and I were both in that same circumstance that we were walking along with a burden of sin on our back, not knowing how to get it off. We're not capable of getting it off, but he guided us to the point where it would be taken off. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a wonderful thing? I hope you recognize that this morning. God's the one who brings us, who bears that burden of sin to the mountain where sin must be dealt with. But I want you to see something else about that wood we find in the scripture here in this narrative, this this historical account of what happens is that there is a transfer of sin from the back of the donkey to the back of the son. You see, it's not enough simply that we are guided to that place, but at the base of that mountain to where they come to, Abraham takes that wood, the Scripture tells us, he takes that wood off the back of that donkey and he places that wood onto the back of his own son, his only son. He takes the burden off of the donkey and he places the burden on his son. Isaiah 53 6 tells us this all we like sheep have gone astray we have all turned everyone to his own way now listen and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all do you see the picture do you see as how Abraham laid that wood on his son Isaac. God the Father has taken the sin of every single human being that has ever lived and ever will live, and he placed the sin on the back of his son. Do, do you grab the gravity of that? For us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, every time we take lightly the name of Christ. Even this morning in my prayer time, even going back to what I preached last week and saying, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his robe, his train fill the temple. And I had to cry out, I just confess to you, I had to cry out, God, forgive me this week for not seeing you for who you are. God, forgive me for looking at circumstance around me and not realizing that you encompass everything, that you are everything, that you are completely holy, 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 and that if you were not gracious and merciful to me, that I would not even be able to come and pray and praise your name. You see, that's the burden of sin. It's the burden that was lifted off. All the vile sin of the world placed on the back of the Son of God. The Father and the Son go up together on that mountain. Take note of that. Don't miss this. That he tells that group, he takes the wood off the back of that donkey and he tells those young men, he says, the lad and I will go yonder to worship, but we'll come back. But I want you to see something. You see, we couldn't make the trek up that mountain. Only God the Father and God the Son could make that trek. You see, because of His holiness and His righteousness, there is only one, only one that could do that. And the Father took the Son up on that mountain, and there the sacrifice took place. You and I are not able to do that. That beast of burden was relieved at that point. The wood taken from his back, placed on the son, and the father and the son go up for a sacrifice. But he says, I'll return. I'll return again. Can I tell you, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that day. I really am. We're, we, we no doubt you know, are facing you know, our brother going to be with the Lord very soon, Brother Danny. But aren't you glad that we will see him again with our Lord? I, I, you know, I, I, I can't help but be a wee bit jealous because he will step into the splendor and glory of the Almighty. He will see God as he has never seen him. He will see him and know him even as he is. 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 He says, I'll come back. I'll come back. I want you to see something else about the wood as well, is that the wood is completely consumed. (laughs) Completely. You'll note that when they come back, there's no wood left. It's gone. Gone, gone, gone. Once the wood is placed on the back of the sun and he makes that trek up the mountain, once the offering is laid on the fire, the wood is completely consumed. Completely gone. You see, completely consumed by the holiness of God's burning fire. The Father and the Son return, but there's no wood with them. There is no wood, there is no sin placed back on the donkey. He is free from that burden because it has been consumed in the sacrifice. You know, the Bible says... Whomever the Son sets free is free indeed. Are you all grabbing this? I hope you are. If you didn't, I did through the week, and I was blessed in it. The fact is, is that what we're seeing here is, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, every bit of your sin was consumed in that sacrifice, and it will not be placed on your back ever again. You grab that? Man, I mean, if nothing else, that ought to... I mean, I know we're Baptists, but, I mean, somebody smile. Right? I mean, good night. You were talking about dancing earlier. You know, here, I'll dance. I'll do a Baptist dance for you guys. Here's a Baptist dance. I mean... There are, I mean, it's a serious subject, but it ought to bring some joy to our hearts over the fact that, listen, I don't have to carry that burden of sin around with me any longer. And every time that sin rises up again and I remember my past, I can go back and say, no, the scripture tells me that my sin was consumed in the holiness of God. What a beautiful picture, and I hope you never read Exodus, or Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, the same again. That every time you read this, you should say, Thank God that you forgave me and consumed my sin for me. You see, that's the picture. Let me take a break here. I'll get a restroke here. But I don't want you to see the wood this morning. You know your mustaches get a little bit long when you take a drink of water and it drips on you. (laughs) But I would shave it off, but my wife loves it so much that I keep it. (laughs) Not only the wood, but I want you to behold the fire. Behold the fire. You see, it's really hand and glove. We can't separate these two things together Isaac looks at his father as they go up the mountain. He says, you know, Dad, I, I see the wood and I see the fire. Where's the lamb? We'll, we'll get to that momentarily. But I want you to, to see the nature of the fire and what it represents. The nature of the fire is this, and it represents the absolute holiness of God. Amen. Do you remember that? It says that we talked about last week and." And Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 8, where we had read, and it comes to the point where, where Isaiah looks up and he and he sees the Lord. He said, I saw the the Lord high and lifted up, and, and you know, the the that his the train of his robe filled the temple. And he says that the seraphims flew around crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and his His glory fills the entire earth, and he comes to this conclusion, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And that holy, holy, holy there was separating, absolutely showing that God is completely unapproachable by mankind. There is only one way that you and I are able to approach God, and that is through Jesus Christ, His Son. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29 that God is a consuming fire. I think that we forget that. I think that we forget of what a holy God he is. Let me tell you what this consuming fire will do. It will do one of two things. It will either condemn or it will cleanse. That's what the fire of God does. It will cleanse you or it will condemn you. Let me give you an example of both. A condemning fire. How about Sodom and Gomorrah? Interesting, I was reading, I'm reading a book called Essays on the Sufficiency of Scripture. And in that uh, Jack MacArthur, not John MacArthur, talked about a survey that was done some time ago, because Jack MacArthur's been with the Lord a long time. And he said that they had done a survey with some high school kids, and they wanted to know, did they know about Sodom and Gomorrah? And they thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were two lovers out of the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah were not two lovers out of the Bible, or two cities that were utterly destroyed by the fire of God because of their wickedness, because of their unholiness. And God came down and absolutely condemned them and burned that area up. Let me tell you about two others. You remember a fellow by the name of Nadab and his brother, Abihu? These two brothers who took strange fire off the altar and said, we'll go and come to God in our own way with different fire not prescribed and God came down and consumed them in fire you see that sin must be dealt with in both cases God comes down and utterly consumes the sinner with a holy fire of judgment but then there is also a cleansing fire how about this how about Elijah on Mount Carmel? I love this story. In case you guys don't, let me just give you a synopsis. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. All right. So here's Elijah. And he's got all these false prophets. Right? And they're there all day long and they're saying, hey, we're, we're, they're cutting themselves and they're, they've got this fire. Then they're, they're calling God to come down. Their God's to come down and burn up and accept this fire. And Elijah sets and he watches them all day long and he taunts them. You know, where's where your God at? Where's He gone? And finally, it comes to the point that they can't do anything. He says, All right, he says, now we'll see who God listens to. And he does this. He builds he, on the altar, he piles, piles up the wood. And he digs a trench around that altar. And he has them come and fill up that trench with water. And then he says, just keep adding on and adding on. As a matter of fact, what he says is they pour the water over the sacrifice to the point that it fills up the trench they've built. And he says, now sit back and I'll show you something. God will show you something. And he calls on the name of the Lord with a sacrifice there. And it says, I'm giving you the the condensed version here, that fire comes down out of heaven, consumes The sacrifice consumes the wood, consumes the stone, and dries up, it says, licks up every bit of water out of the trench. You see, that was a cleansing fire. That's a fire that was acceptable that God looked down and saw a sacrifice of his people and said, hey, I'll take that fire. Not only that, you remember we talked about Isaiah, I keep going back to last week, and there comes a point when Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips and dwell amongst the people with unclean lips, and we talked about the reason he's unclean lips is because out of the heart, right, out of the heart is what comes out of the mouth. That's why they were unclean. What they were saying is their heart was unclean. And he says he takes the coal and he puts that coal on his lips. And he takes that coal off of the altar of God and he cleanses him with that. Here is the difference. One fire accepts the sacrifice and consumes it all. The other in that coal taken from the altar cleanses the sinner as opposed to that of Sodom and Gomorrah where the fire of God comes down and consumes the sinner. See the difference? Here's the purpose of the fire. It will consume the sin or it will consume the sinner now let me say something that is not preached and not talked about a lot because we like to please people and we like to have numbers and we like to have good offerings and if if you speak the truth sometimes people think that you know that um, well they they bow down to the altar of appeasement to the crowds rather than bowing down before the king of kings can i tell you that hell is real And that's really what we're talking about here. Can I tell you that here's what the Bible says about that? That the sin is either eternally consumed for the believer or that the sinner will eternally burn in a consuming fire. As a matter of fact, if you go to Mark Chapter 9 and verses 43 through 46, all of those, in in each of those verses, you will find the phrase, the fire shall not be quenched. Hell is literal. It's real, just as heaven is real. And just as our brother Danny will step into the eternal glory of his king, there will be people on the same day Who will step in eternal damnation and who will be eternally tormented? Eternally. You see, behold the wood, behold the fire. The fire does the one of two things it either purifies, cleanses, or it will consume the sinner. Final point is behold the lamb. Behold the lamb. Because that's really what it comes down to the question that isaac asked or his dad his father abraham he said where is the lamb this is important because without the lamb on the wood it would be a worthless meaningless ritual if you just threw some wood up on the altar and burn it it means absolutely nothing The meaning was in the fact of what was being done and a sacrifice was being accomplished. And we'll note in the scripture, look at verse 8, if you would. It says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. I don't want you to miss that, folks. He's not going to provide for himself. And as I read one time in some crazy, bogus translation, that God would provide a small animal for a sacrifice. No, no, God didn't provide a small animal, He provided Himself. That is why when John looked at Jesus walking up to the Jordan, he was able to say, Behold the Lamb. Of God. You see, as we look at this, God provides Himself a lamb. It ha- would have to be the perfect sacrifice. God's Son, His only Son, was the only one that could satisfy the judgment of God. There's not a person here who can make a difference, one iota, for your sin. None. You can't make a difference for somebody else's sin. There's only one, the Lamb of God. Amen. And you see, if the Lamb had not been placed on that sacrifice, that sacrifice would have been as much as all those trying to call bell down. But when the right sacrifice is there, then it becomes acceptable to God. He comes down and he consumes that sacrifice along with the sin the scriptures are clear Hebrews 9 says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin without the shedding blood of Jesus Christ there is no remission what does that say for us for us as believers followers of Jesus Christ it is this that that blood has made us right with God but if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you've never come to a place of repentance and turning to him, my friend, it doesn't matter how much wood you burn. Because he will come and consume you. Because the only thing that makes a difference is the blood of the lamb. That's it. And you say, oh, pastor, that sounds so archaic. That's okay, I'm archaic. I believe this archaic book because I believe it's the word of God I believe it's eternal in nature I don't believe it's just a group of stories I believe it is literally breathed out that it's pure that it's absolute and that we can trust it it will be the very thing that will either condemn you or absolve you it's his word isn't it cool? I mean, here in Genesis, Bereshith. It's the word, Bereshith. It means the beginning. From the very beginning in this book, he said, I've got a plan of redemption. And it involves the Father, and it involves the Son, and it involves you. From the beginning. It's not something that just came up. As a matter of fact, we can go further back than that. The Bible says that This lamb that we're speaking of this morning was slain before the foundation of the world was laid. That's mind-boggling. I'm glad it's mind-boggling because I like to know that I am serving a God that I will never be able to figure out because He is infinite and I am finite. He is absolutely without sin and I still struggle with sin. Aren't you glad for God's grace? Christ is our offering. He took our sin on his back and he bore to Calvary. There he willingly laid down on the altar as a sacrifice and God the Father judged our sin with the shedding of the perfect lamb as an offering. Think about that. The Father and the Son go up on that mountain together. We heard the son cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When that heap of wood was placed on his back and he is laying and being sacrificed, consumed in the holiness of God, but can you imagine the father crying out? The anguish of the father as well. Realizing that he had to offer his son because the only way that he could redeem us is by that perfect sacrifice. Oh, saints, don't take this for granted. Don't take this walk that he has granted you flippantly. Behold the wood. Behold the fire. Behold the lamb. Here's the difference. You must accept that sacrifice. Turn from your sin to serve the living God of heaven and you will be cleansed or you will be judged for your sin that will result in eternal damnation. There is no in-between. It is now. From the beginning, God has made a way of escape for us and it is this... Is in his son Jesus Christ. Isn't it an amazing thing to have a book that is eternal, that has a story of redemption, and it's the message for us? Now, here's the challenge it's the message for us to carry to the world. Don't make this a ritual. Don't come in here and think that we can throw some wood on the fire. Don't come in here and think that we can throw a little incense up in the air and think that we somehow please God. But recognize it as the sacrifice of the Almighty that allows us to move and live and have our being. Right? Father, we thank you for this great, wonderful day that you have given us. We thank you for your holy word, which is able to do the things that no man is able ever to do. We thank you for your spirit, Father. And we pray now in the precious name of Christ, our Lord, Hamashiach Yeshua, our Messiah. Father, we would pray today that you would quicken the spirits of men and women. Open your... Word to us, God. Change us. Change us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.